So our church family over the last couple of weeks has been hit pretty hard with uh, this Omicron thing. It seems like um, uh, everybody I know is either part of the friend group that gave me Omicron or they're part of the fin- friend group who I shared it with. And, um, uh, but there, there are a lot of folks that are out. And if you are home and watching with us online, we're so glad that you would worship with us in this way and hope that you get some good rest and are able to make it back together with us soon. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open with me to Psalm 1, Psalm 1. James and Sarah are back from Spain. Hello, guy, or Portugal. Yes, it's good to see you guys. Um, Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you so much that we could come together and gather around your word. And we ask, God, that as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that you would make us attentive to your voice. God, we need a word from you. We need to be challenged and encouraged and built up. We need hope. We need joy. We need to be stimulated toward hearts of gratitude. And we pray that as we open your word, that your spirit would do your work among us and that you would mold us, that you would shape us to be your faithful people in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said... Amen. So this last week, I read a fascinating article by uh, the journalist and social commentator named Andrew Sullivan, and the title of the essay was, I Used to Be a Human Being. The subtitle, An Endless Bombardment of News and Gossip and Images Has Rendered Us Manic Information Addicts. It Broke Me, It Might Break You Too. He goes on in the article to share about this experience he had of checking himself into a 12-day meditation retreat digital detox. And he describes how his own life had just got, become unmanageable as it related to his own use of screens and technology and social media. He writes, each morning began with a full immersion in the stream of internet consciousness and news, jumping from site to site, tweet to tweet, breaking news stories to, on it, to hottest take, scanning countless images and videos, catching up with multiple memes. And he said, I'm not alone in this. He said, I know so many people that also are overcome by this same bombardment. And then he writes this, he says, just look around you at the people crouched over their phones as they walk the streets or drive their cars or walk their dogs, or play with their children. Observe yourself in line for coffee, or in a quick work break, or driving, or even just going to the bathroom. We know who you are. Visit an airport and see the sea of crane necks and dead eyes. We have gone from looking up and around to constantly looking down. And then he goes on, he challenges us a little bit further. He says, do not flatter yourself in thinking that you have much control over which temptations you click on. Silicon Valley's technologists and their ever-perfecting algorithms have discovered the form of bait that will have you jumping like a witless minnow. No information technology ever had this depth of knowledge of its consumers or greater capacity to tweak their synapses to keep them engaged. And that's just right, you know? And then he concludes the article by saying this. Listen to this. 
He says, the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction. There are books to be read and landscapes to be walked, friendships to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shift shape under pressure, the threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any. Now, I don't know whether or not it's actually correct to say that the, the biggest threat we have to our souls right now is all of the digital distractions, but I think you'd agree it's a pretty big one, right? I mean, this stuff, it is making us shallow and superficial. It is threatening our own hearts, our lives, our ability to concentrate. You know, the spiritual life demands something of our hearts, of our attention, of our minds. And so one of the biggest assets, one of the biggest resources and tools that you have to actually connect with God is your ability to sit quiet and to listen and to be present and to be attentive. And it's these very practices, these very uh, skills that right now are being destroyed and they are being dismantled by this digital economy that we inhabit. And so the question that I want to ask today is, is there a practice that Jesus offers that might help us combat this digital kind of like uh, bombardment that we face? Is there something that Jesus gives to us that might actually serve as a counter-formational practice in our own lives that will mold us and shape us into being people that are more and more attentive to God? that we can pay more attention to his voice in our life, that we will be more submissive and moldable and shapeable to his gracious influence that he has in us. And I want to suggest there is a practice, and I want to share that practice with you today. And the practice is called scripture meditation. Now, We began a series last week, and if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the sermon. Pastor Robert preached an outstanding message, one of the best I've ever heard, on the topic of prayer. And he introduced this idea of rhythms, and what we're doing throughout this series is we're talking together about spiritual practices and habits that we can engage in that over time begin to mold and shape and form us to be a people that are faithful and living close to Jesus in this world. We're talking together about those habits that we can engage in that actually help us cultivate our life with God. And so last week we talked about prayer, but today I want to talk about scripture meditation. So there's a kind of meditation that's common in Eastern religions and Buddhism and Hinduism that can be helpful. And the goal of that kind of meditation, and it's increasingly popular in our world today in self-help, you know, sections of bookstores, there's all these books on mindfulness. And it's all about emptying your mind of clutter. And it's about emptying the mind. But the the kind of of meditation that I want to talk to you about is a different kind of meditation. And it's the meditation that comes out of not the Eastern world, but out of the ancient Near Eastern world of the Jews. And it was born some 3,000 years ago. It It was a discipline, a practice, a type of meditation that was encouraged and taught by Jesus 
And it spread outside of the Middle East to non-Jewish people and has been regularly practiced by wise sages and by spiritual uh, masters all over the globe for some 2,000 years. And it is described in Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2 like this. The author says, Blessed is the person who walks not in step with the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So here we see a description of a different kind of meditation, uh, meditation on scripture. And so where Eastern religions often teach meditation through emptying our mind of the clutter and oftentimes emptying the mind of rational thought, This kind of Hebrew meditation practiced by Jesus is not so much about emptying the mind, but it's about filling the mind. And it's about filling the mind with what? It's about filling the mind with scripture. Notice what he says. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's a reference to scripture. It's a reference to the Bible. Uh, The word translated as meditation in Hebrew, or, or from, uh, that's translated meditation, is the Hebrew word Hagah. Can we say that together? Oh, look at, you guys are just seeing it. If, if you're listening, I can't even see, you know, I can't see your faces, which would normally help me connect with you. But you have smiles underneath those masks, don't you? Yeah, I can tell Natalie's smiling right now. Um, oh yeah, Hebrew word Hagah. <laughs> And it literally means to murmur or mutter, which is what one did in a culture where there was no such thing as silent reading. You know, the practice of silent reading is only about 17 or 1800 years old. Ancient cultures, ancient peoples oftentimes read out loud. And of course, this is not just a... uh, uh, a culture where there's no silent reading, it's an oral culture where you don't have your own Bible that you walk around with. Instead, what you do is you commit these sacred texts to memory. And so what you do in this kind of culture when you're reading out loud or you're committing stuff to memory is you walk around and you mutter and you murmur. And that's what that word Hagah means. It means to mutter or to murmur. If you can imagine, you know, somebody calling to mind something, you see them over there in the corner and they're just kind of like talking to themselves. Any of you guys talk to yourselves? in your cars? Yeah? Well, this is kind of the idea of this word. It involves muttering and murmuring to oneself. But meditation in this text also involves something deeper. You know, uh, Eugene Peterson, in his wonderful book, Eat This Book, uh, points out that this word is translated in another portion of the Bible, in Isaiah 34.1, as growl as in a lion growling over its prey, you know? You can imagine a lion attacking the thing and tearing it apart and then getting down into the bones and then just chewing on those bones. And if you were to walk up to that lion, you might hear something and what would you hear? You would hear that low growl, you know. And it's the same noise that I hear when I watch my dog Brutus gnaw on that enormous bone. You know, he growls over that bone. And this word is translated into meditation. It's the word Hagah that it's used to describe. And, And that's the sense that it's giving us. Going into these ancient texts of scripture, 
and grabbing a hold of words and phrases and paragraphs and ideas that come to us in the ancient text and to take them into our minds and to think about them and to talk them over and to imagine what would this look like to actually embody this in my life. You know, um, a while back, uh, my wife Alicia had this season where she would take a word or phrase from scripture and she would journal about it. And I can remember her sitting down with me and sharing with me these thoughts, you know, and she doesn't have any formal theological education, but there was such spiritual depth and, wit and, and wisdom that came from her sitting and meditating on and thinking about the text of Scripture. And this is what he's encouraging us to, is this kind of deep meditation. Eugene Peterson writes, These are words intended, whether confrontationally or obliquely, to get inside of us. The text of Scripture, in other words, is not simply something that you want to get through. It's something that you want to get inside of you. So he says, these are words intended, whether confrontationally or obliquely, to get inside us, to deal with our souls, to form a life that is congruent with the world that God has created, the salvation he has enacted, the community he has gathered. Such writing anticipates and counts on a certain kind of reading, a dog with a bone kind of reading. You know, this kind of reading was named by our ancestors as Lectio Divina, which is translated as spiritual reading. It's a kind of reading that actually enters our souls as food enters your stomach, and it spreads through our blood and becomes holiness and love and wisdom. So listen, reading the Bible for followers of Jesus is not simply about checking off the box that you got through that text or getting through the next little section, it is more about allowing the text to get inside of you and sometimes to disturb you, to confront you, to convict you, to encourage you, to redirect how you live your life. But the only way the word of God can do that is if we have space and time to sit with it and to meditate on it and to think about it. You know, of course, Jesus was the example par excellence of this kind of thoughtful reading. You know, when you read through the Gospels, what you discover is that Jesus, among all of the many things that characterize his life, Jesus' life was characterized by a deep and an abiding and a meditative reflection and reading of Scripture. And you see this when he's confronted by the devil in the wilderness, What's the first thing that comes out of him? It's the scriptures. It's because that's what he was thinking on or meditating on. You know, when you see Jesus be confronted by the Pharisees and there are these moments where Jesus and his disciples are plucking grain on the Sabbath and the Pharisees, the religious leaders come up and say, hey, what are you doing plucking grain on the Sabbath? And what does Jesus do? Well, he answers him, he says, have you not read? And Jesus drops this bit of wisdom that is obviously comes out of his own deep and reflective reading of Scripture. At another point in the Gospels, Jesus is confronted because of, uh, you know, he's hanging out with all the wrong people and and, and and, and the, the religious leaders, again, are getting on him. And he says, have you not read, don't you know what it says in the prophet Isaiah, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
And do you see what he's doing? He is speaking to them out of his own deep, reflective meditation on Scripture. And at one point, Jesus says, look, every disciple who is fully trained will become like their master. And so if you and I are going to become like Jesus, it will mean that we are people that, like Jesus, learn this deep, thoughtful, reflective practice of Scripture meditation. Now, of course, this is going to take you know, a certain intensity about it. Notice in the text, he says, uh, blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. And so this is more than simply, you know, I went to church on Sunday or I spent, you know, a couple minutes this week looking at a Bible verse. This is talking about something more, isn't it? Meditating, reflective reading day and night. There's a certain intensity about it. You know, I was reading this week a book by the great spiritual thinker and writer, Dallas Willard, and he was talking about this season in his own life when he was in uh, his early 20s where God really got a hold of him. And I found this interesting because all the stuff I've interacted with Willard, he's much older now, and I just think of him as this wise sage. But he spoke about this time in his life where things began to shift and, and change in him, and it put him on a new trajectory, And the thing that shifted in his own life was he embraced this kind of like intense engagement with quiet, reflective, thoughtful, prayerful reading and meditation on Scripture. And in reflecting back on this, he writes this. He says, I had learned that intensity is crucial for any progress in spiritual perception and understanding. Some of you, you want to make progress in your own life with God. You actually want to know a little bit more freedom from all of that anxiety and fear and insecurity and anger. And uh, you want to to know a certain new kind of joy and gratitude. You want to know spiritual depth in your life. Willard says, look, for any progress in spiritual perception and understanding, it requires a, a certain amount of intensity. And then he says this, to dribble a few verses or chapters of scripture on oneself throughout the week, in church or out, will not reorder one's mind and spiritual life, just as a drop of water every five minutes will not get you a shower, no matter how long you keep it up. You need a lot of water at once and for a sufficiently long period of time. And similarly, it's true with the written word. You need a lot of it and over a long period of time in order to be molded and shaped. And so this is what we are being invited into, this ongoing, regular, habitual, going back into the Bible, reflecting on it and thinking on it. And this will involve at a practical level at least a couple things. One, it means to commit yourself to a practice of daily Bible reading. And last week, uh, we presented to you this Rhythms Prayer Guide. This guide also has a Bible reading plan in it. And so this is an invitation for you to take this and to utilize this plan if you've not yet kind of developed a practice of regular Bible reading in your own life, or maybe you have one, but it got a little stale, so you want to try something new. There's a Bible reading plan, so it involves regular daily Bible reading, but it, it will involve more than that. It it, it involves thought 
you know? One of the great arts that has been lost in our world today is the art of actually thinking and reflecting, right? And we, li- we live in this, this time where we're just consuming information and often the information is not even there to inform us. It's simply there to confirm our previously held biases that we already had, to remind us that we're right and everyone else out there is stupid and wrong, rather than actually give us legitimate information. And beyond just receiving information, we're losing not, not only the art of thinking, we are losing in this cultural moment the ability to think. And so if we are going to actually be disciples of Jesus, we need counterformational practices where we actually pause and we read and we give thought and reflection and we journal. And, and then when we go to bed at night, we take specific texts of scripture and we have them in our minds, you know, at night. Now, I find this to be so helpful. Almost every night as I'm falling to sleep, I'm reciting the Lord's prayer in my mind. I'm just praying those words. Or maybe if I'm feeling particularly worried or anxious, I'm reciting the words of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that I do is not turn to my phone, but I wanna turn to scripture, I wanna turn to God. And these are practices we have got to cultivate in our own life if we're gonna engage in this practice of daily meditation on scripture. And so this is a call, it's an invitation for us to engage in a way of being in this world that is shaped and molded by God's word that comes to us in his scripture that we take and we think about and we imbibe. And of course, the reason why the Bible demands that we do this is because the Bible itself is meditation literature. It's the kind of thing that actually demands our further thought and our engagement. And notice what it says in the text. If we engage in this practice, there is a promise held out before us. Verse three. What happens to the one who meditates on God's word day and night? Look what it says in the text. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. It's interesting, uh, the author here provides us these two evocative images that reflect two different places your life can go. The first image is of a tree that has deep roots and it is vibrant and it is fruitful and it's growing. It's the kind of thing that is stable and strong. And he, he basically says, do you want a life like that? Is that the kind of human being you want to become? You know, you want to become somebody who is stable and secure and comfortable in your own skin. You're okay with who you are. You know joy and hope, and you are not racked by anxiety and fear and anger and lust and greed, but you're actually free. And over the long course of your life, you're cultivating wisdom and stability so that at the end of your life, you're actually the kind of person somebody wants to draw on. You've got fruit that can feed other people because of the kind of person you became. And so he says, there's one image of a kind of life is this tree that's planted by the streams of water. And he contrasts that with a different vision. And it's a different image. And this image is of chaff that is easily blown away by the wind. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really know much about chaff because, you know, I'm not a wheat farmer. But, you know, uh, there are two parts, you know, to that wheat field. There's the wheat, which is the real stuff, the stuff of value. And in order to get to the wheat, you got to like, I guess you got to, I don't know what you got to do. <laughs> I'll have some farmer email me afterwards and let me know what you need. But I don't know, beat it or crush it or whatever. But the point is, is that you separate the wheat, which is the weighty real stuff that actually nourishes and feeds people from the chaff, which is worthless and lightweight and gets blown away easily. Shallow and superficial. And he uses that as an image of the kind of life you can grow into. You can actually, over the long course of time, become somebody who is substantial, who is fruitful, who's a person of substance and weight, of goodness and beauty and moral excellence and intelligence, or you can be a person who is lightweight, who's superficial, who has no ability to just be, you know, to give concentration and thought. It, and, and he says, these are two places your life can go. You know, have you ever noticed or maybe found yourself at a destination in your life and wondered, how did I get here? You know, you got a marriage that's broken, it's not working, and you think, how did I get here? I didn't choose to have a bad marriage. Or maybe you have a strange relationship with your kids or your parents, and you wonder, how did I get here? I didn't choose this. Or you're overworked and you're stressed out, and you think, how did I get here? How did I get to this kind of person? And, and listen, almost, in almost every case, the way you got there is not by accident. It was through habit. It was through the rhythms that you've given yourself to over time. And those things that you give yourself to over time begin to mold and shape you into a particular kind of person. You might think, I want to be a person of depth and substance and wisdom. I want to grow in the practice of love. I want to be comfortable in my own skin. I want to know peace and freedom from anxiety and security in place of fear. But you have habits and you have practices that are not forming you that way. You know, we could put it like this. Um, he gives us these two different images of the tree and of the chaff. And if you look at this diagram, the yellow dotted line represents maybe what your desires are. And so back in December, I performed two memorial services, one for an incredibly godly, strong, amazing woman named Nancy Trout, another for another strong, amazing, godly woman named Jackie Sab, Justin's mom. And I left both of those services thinking the same thought. That's what I want people to say about me after I'm dead. Because these were people who made an impact by the way they lived in this world. They had a degree of wisdom and joy and substance and stability, and they made an impact for good. And listen, when I was at those memorial services, nobody got up and said, oh, you should have seen how much time they spent, you know, watching TikTok or watching Fox News or engaged on social. Nobody talked about that on their deathbed. Instead, what they talked about is the way they had loved them, the way they had listened the way they had engaged, the way they spread 
positivity and love and joy with all the people around them. And I found myself thinking, I wanna be like that. And that yellow line represents kind of our desires, our wants. And I think it's true with all of you in here. There is something inside of you that wants to become a person of substance and character and spiritual depth and intelligence and wisdom, don't you? I know I do. You want that. There's something deep inside of us that wants that. But the white line represents not our desires. It represents our regular habits and practices that we actually do every day. And in this case, the actual habits and practices are taking me to a different position than my desires and wants. But what this text is calling us to is to align our daily habits and rhythms and practices with our desires so that the stuff you actually do day by day is taking you ultimately where you want to go. Is it? I mean, think about what do you spend so much of your discretionary time doing throughout the day? How much time are you spending on TV? How much time are you on social media or watching more YouTube clips or binging Netflix, you know? Uh, the, the average American today watches five hours of television a day and 35 hours a week. Many of us know the experience of binging entire seasons of shows. Anybody here? <laughs> no. And oftentimes, you know, we can think like, I just don't have time for, you know, this kind of deep spiritual stuff. I don't have time for the Bible. Yes, you do. Everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. The question is, is, is not whether or not you have time. It's whether or not you are putting your time into things that are actually molding and shaping you into the kind of person you want to become. And do you see what this text is doing? It's inviting us into this practice of daily and regular meditation. And, and it holds out this promise, those who do, those who entrust themselves to these regular habits and practice will become people of substance. Now, this requires a modicum of trust because oftentimes, if you just start reading the Bible tomorrow and you're kind of unfamiliar with it, and, and Sometimes you might go for a week and feel like, I don't get it. This isn't that helpful at all. Why do people do this? What am I supposed to, I didn't get anything out of that. And so you actually need to trust the process. I don't know if any of you remember back in the 80s, I'm a child of the 80s, but the movie Karate Kid, you know, and it's a story of young Danielson who apprentices himself to the great, you know, kung fu master uh, or karate master or whatever, Mr. Miyagi. And do you remember the first thing in his training that young Daniel is asked to do? He says, I want you to go out and he shows him a, a big, you know, uh, his empty lot out in his backyard of these cars. And he says, I want you to go out and clean and wax all of the cars. And here's how I want you to wax the car. He says, wax on, then he says, wax off. And then he does that. You know, he spends a few days all day long doing that action. It's just repetitive motions, you know, one day after another. And then uh, he comes back, he says, I finished doing it. You know, he says, okay. And he takes him out and he shows him um, all of this painting that he needs to do. And he says, here's how I want you to paint. He says, paint 
up, paint down. You know, he says, like this and like this. He says, and Daniel starts painting. He says, no, 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 like this, like this, you know. And, um, and Daniel just gets so frustrated. And he's about ready to throw in the towel because he's like, this isn't, you know, karate. I'm not learning anything. Like, what, the, what, is, what is wax on, wax off, you know, paint up, paint up? What does this have to do with, with becoming the kind of karate fighter I want to become? You know, and, he, and he, he, he blows up, you know, in Mr. Miyagi's face. And Mr. Miyagi says, hey, he says, I, I want you to, uh, he says, I'm going to come at you. And he says, I want you to go wax on, you know. And he goes, Phew. and he goes, wax on. And he goes, wax off, you know. He says, paint, you guys remember, you, are we together on this? You guys are with me? Some of you were falling asleep and you're like, did he say Karate Kid? I love that movie, you know. But listen, oftentimes our own formation as followers of Jesus and the fruit we see from it only comes at the long end of obedience. A long obedience in the same direction where we're doing some repetitive motions, stuff that doesn't always feel that great, but over time it cultivates something different in your life. You know, N.T. Wright in his great book called After You Believe, which is all about virtue and spiritual and character formation, he suggests that daily Bible reading isn't always so much simply about getting more information. He said, it is almost that you are schooling yourself in a posture. When you sit with an open Bible and you're asking in humility and submission for God to speak into your life and to form you, and when you connect that with prayer and responding to God and seeking to examine your own life by the things that you're reading there, even if you don't totally get it, even if you're like, that didn't do much for me, the very posture of your heart done day by day by day is actually forming and shaping you itself by those practices into a person who is more humble and submission, submissive and faithful, somebody who, who more, who's more likely to bear up under suffering and trials. And so this is what we are invited into. And so I want to close just with this. I want to close by inviting you in 2022 to join with me in doing what I'm calling the Rhythms Challenge, okay? And here's what the Rhythms Challenge is. is take this uh, little uh, prayer guide here. And if, if you open it up, you'll see that there is, in the first few pages, there is a 50-week Bible reading guide this Bible reading guide will take you through the New Testament at least once, and then it'll take you through about half of the Old Testament over the course of the next 50 weeks. It's a 50-week guide because it's intended to be started on Monday. I was so confident that you would start tomorrow. That, you know, I, I gave you this guide. But in order to actually engage in these kind of practices, you need a plan. Most of the stuff just doesn't happen by accident. You know, if you let, you know, things happen on accident, you're only going to be a reactive person. You're not going to be proactive and intentional and engaging in things that are actually healthy and good for you. And so I'd encourage you to, to start uh, taking on this reading challenge. And then co in collaboration with that, there's daily morning and evening prayer. And I would just challenge you to take space every morning and every evening in prayer with God. And we've given you a prayer guide there, not because I think everybody needs it, not everybody likes written prayers or needs them, but some of us, like myself, sometimes hit a wall in prayer. I don't know about, does anybody here ever get distracted in prayer? 
And um, I sometimes need something just to hang my thoughts on and help guide me through. Well, that's what the purpose of those prayers are. There's some biblical prayers that you can pray that, again, get you into the text of Scripture. But listen, it's not going to be enough simply for you to plan to do this. You have to also reorder your own life. You see, if you simply try to add an additional practice into the regular patterns you already have in your life right now, if you don't have this kind of practice in your life, you're not going to have space and it's going to be crowded out and it's not going to be successful. You actually need to reorder your time so that you prioritize being with God. It might mean putting your phone in a different room from the room you go to sleep in. It might mean doing what uh, our family tries to do, which is to put our phones to bed at night. Don't let your phone put you to bed, but put your phone to bed, maybe put it in another room. Maybe commit to before getting in on your phone that you get down on your knees. You know, I remember somebody saying a while back, um, I was listening to a preacher and, and he said something that was so convicting. He said, you know, he said, if an alien species came into our uh, kind of like world, unannounced and just were spying on us and watched what we did in the mornings and how quickly we went to our phones and the first thing that we did and what we did, they might, they might come to the conclusion that we worshiped whatever these things were, that they must be some God that we worship. And so we need to put some boundaries on our own time and our life and, and put new practices and rhythms in there. So would you take this challenge Now, some of you, you are way beyond a challenge like this. Like, you got prayer and Bible down. And if that's you, God bless you. We need you in this community, and we need your help and guidance. And if you've been doing that for three, four, ten, ten decades, (laughs) if you've been doing that for ten decades, I want to talk to you. Um, No, but if you've been doing that for a long time in your own life, you know, we need your kind of wisdom in our own lives. But would you take this challenge? Now, at this time, I want to invite our our worship team up. By the way, I wanted to mention that in collaboration with this guide, I'm going to be releasing on our podcast a teaching each week uh, that I'm going to give on a section that we're doing in the Bible reading portion in the Old Testament. And so if you're of that personality type or that that type of person that you're reading something, you're like, "Um, I... I don't totally understand what I'm reading here. I wish somebody would just give a little frame or a little guidance. Uh, Then as part of your own reading, you might just tune in and listen to a little 30-minute teaching. Uh, This week, we're going to release a few teachings, so there'll be a few pieces because it's on the book of Genesis and there's a lot to say about it. Uh, But we're going to try to, or I'm going to try to do that this this, uh, year. You can pray for me because that's going to be a little challenging. Uh, But I want to do my best to... um, Uh, provide any help that I can to help frame for you the scriptures as you engage in this practice. But let me just close with this final phrase in Psalm 1. You know, I've talked a lot about what disciplines you need to engage in in order to cultivate your life with God. But I just want to close by by reading this, this final phrase because it reminds us that not everything deter- is, is dependent upon us. It says in verse five, therefore the way uh, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And then he says this, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, 
but the way of the wicked will perish. He says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word knows is the same word that the scripture uses to describe a husband when he knows his wife. And when he talks about that kind of knowledge, it's talking about an intimacy and a vulnerability and a deep closeness. And I think what this is revealing to us is that long before we ever engage in any kind of rhythm or discipline or practice to help us know God intimately, God moved heaven and earth so that he might know you intimately. That he has set his love and his affection on you. And all we ever do when we engage in these kind of practices is we simply seek to grab hold upon that reconciled reality that Christ has brought into this world. And we seek to live into this kingdom that he has already inaugurated, that we've already been invited into. We seek to live into this sonship and this daughtership with the Father where he has already named us sons and daughters of God. And so may you go out this week and may you seek to cultivate through these rhythms and practices in your life your own relationship with God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have come near to us in Jesus that long before any of us had ever set any practice or habit toward getting to know you better, that you came among us so that out of your own deep love and knowledge of us, God, you might rescue us and draw us to yourself. And I pray, God, that that good news would go in deep and that would enable us to engage in any kind of spiritual discipline and rhythm we do with joy and in a context of grace and love. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.